you're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. There are heaps of ways that we can focus on ecology in an urban setting and it doesn't always have to be large scale. Today, I'm lucky enough to be speaking with David Jeffries, who's one of the founders of the Red Seal Park Reserve. Thanks for coming on the podcast, David. Tell me, how does a former banker turned carpet cleaner end up being responsible for so many volunteers and such an important yet lesser known reserve in the city of Melville, Mount Pleasant, Western Australia? Oh, thanks, Dan. Well, I've lived in Mount Pleasant uh, near the reserve for 33 years. And when I used to walk the dog, which I still have, I noticed this degraded bush area and decided to contact the local council to do something about it. And that led to the formation of the Friends Group. So what is the Friends Group? Uh, It's just a group of people that um, we've got together. Um, They're all volunteers and they help out on on a regular basis whenever needed. Fantastic. So what sort of work do you guys do on a regular basis? Well, when we do it, uh, which is sort of uh, Sunday mornings, um, we do weeding, we do planting. Certainly they're the main two. And we have a bit of a, normally a bit of a a social event afterwards, a barbecue or similar. That sounds all right. So who is Red Seal and how did the reserve come to be named after him? Red Seal, he has passed away, unfortunately. Uh, He was a Melville Shire councillor from 1961 to 1963. And in those days, they served a couple of years on the, the council and they had a park or a reserve named after them. I think the reserve would have been declared in the late 1950s when the housing developments were done in the area. So why is this small parcel of land such an important uh, reserve in the city of Melville? Well, it, it's a declared reserve, but also it's, uh, it's, it's a piece of bush, uh, remnant bushland and I would say it's, it's representative of what would have been through that whole area. And these days, there's, you know, there's very little left. So there's hundreds of species of plants in there. So, you know, to, to my way of thinking, it's a, it's a throwback to what used to be there. So I think it's very important. Right. So this might actually be one of the last places where some of those endemic uh, animals and uh, plants might actually be able to exist. Absolutely. It's, um, it's what's called a bassendine uh, complex soil type which is a dry land, and there's, there's a few wetland types uh, down the bottom of the hill, but um, no, this is probably that, that only soil complex with those sorts of plants um, certainly in the area. So no, very important. Can you please describe a little bit about uh, some of the wetland areas and how they're a little bit different to the other parts of the reserve? Oh, no, our, our reserve is all dry land, but... Um, there's other reserves if you go down the hill, sorry. Um, there's some lakes and they are, that's what we would describe as the wetland. So Okay, so it's a kind of a corridor between the wetland and other environments. Correct, yes, yes. So how long have you personally been involved with Red Seal? Well, I started this in May 2013, so it's just a little bit over seven years. And what were the early days like? No, the early days were quite difficult in terms of attracting and keeping volunteers and it used to take us forever to plant our our yearly allocation of plants and and also in those days I didn't have much knowledge about revegetation either so that didn't help. What were some of the things that you learned along the way that maybe you were getting wrong in the first stages 
Well, I mean, Ben was a great help, but uh, I didn't even know how to. Uh, when we plant these plants, we put them in little green bags and uh, they're held up with little uh, sticks and sort of they provide a, you know, help to protect against the weather and animals and the like. And uh, I had no idea how to do that. So that's one example that uh, now it's it's a piece of cake, but I had no idea in those days. So it used to take a long time to, you know, to put them in and now we can move it at a far greater rate, for example. Did you learn any other tricks along the way? Oh, I've, I've learned heaps. I mean, I, I, I knew... I knew, for example, what a banksia was, but I I didn't know all the individual species. Um, and you know, now I've got I've got some knowledge. I can identify the three main types that we have in the reserve. But uh, no, all sorts of things like that. As I say, I had a, I had just a little bit of knowledge. I had a I had a passion for it, but I didn't have the uh, the knowledge that perhaps I've got now. Well, that passion is going to get you a long way when you're learning a new skill, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I think if you don't have passion, yeah, you wouldn't be interested in the first place. So uh, as a kid, I grew up in the the bush out towards the hills and, um, you know, we were always playing in the bush and it was just the vivid colours. Um, you know, you're, you're riding and you're sort of running through the bush and the vivid colours are things that sort of takes me right back in some some ways, yeah. And it's not only important that we keep those colours there for the wildlife, uh, but also it's important to our mental health as humans too. Correct. And, and also we, we have sort of two parts to this reserve. We have the bushland bit, which is, uh, we should say, sort of authentic. We only plant uh, plants that are endemic to the area. But we have another side that's outside the fence that we've totally revegetated. It was just all vacant uh, wood chips and that. And we put in a lot of very, they're all native plants, but very colourful and that attracts a lot of the local people. So you've sort of got to have that side to it as well where it catches people's eyes, I suppose. So how's the Friends Group different now compared to when you guys started? Uh, yeah, so we've managed to retain the core group of originals and as well we have a new group of young families uh, and they use that for their social get-togethers anyway. They uh, oh, There's a, a grass section there with some... Uh, tables and chairs and, and they sit in there on weekends and that so these days uh, our planting and weeding days have become more about providing a sense of community with the added benefit of, of uh, for the environment and, and the beautification of the area what sort of volunteer numbers were you getting in the early days compared to now well, in the early days, sometimes it was just uh, Ben and myself and maybe one or two others. And at our most recent event, uh, a few weeks back, we had 16 adults and seven kids helping out. That's a massive increase. That's about eight times. It is, yeah. It's incredible now. And we don't have to try. People just sort of just turn up now. And there are also some uh, kids getting involved, you mentioned. Well, there are. There's, as I say, there's kids that turn up, and it, I think it's fantastic to see the kids planting, getting involved and exposed to nature in a hands-on way. And uh, I hope this sows the seed for their future involvement and caring for bushland. Maybe this group will be still going in 20 or 30 years' time, and one of them, one of them will be the, the leader of it. Have you been contacted by any scientists or any other groups that would like to uh, study the reserve? Uh, yes, the, the City of Melville did a, a flora and fauna survey under a strategic management plan back in 2017, and I was involved in reviewing the findings uh, prior to its publication. also had an approach from a uni student uh, who wanted to test the effect of smoke water on the reserve. Unfortunately, this didn't happen due to a lack of funds, 
which is a pity as I'd like to see this uh, process to see how that process does work with plant germination. So smoke water. Tell me a little bit more about that. What does that mean? Yeah, look, I don't know a lot about it. It was developed through some uh, Kings Park scientists. And if you capture smoke and then add water to it and then put it on the ground uh, at a certain ratio, um, it, it leads to the germination of plants. So a lot of the seeds of a lot of native plants, uh, quite often there's a fire and people think it's the fire that germinates the plants, but it's not, it's the smoke. So if you mix this smoke with water, if you capture the smoke, mix it with water, pour it on the ground, it has the same effect as a fire and that leads to germination. And we did have a small fire in the reserve recently, about a year and a half ago, and and the smoke that was generated through that fire, it's amazing, the regeneration in that little area. So, yeah, very interesting concept. Wow, so you did notice a big difference after the fire. Oh, well, yeah, initially it was bad. Um, It was just totally burnt out. But after that, slowly things have come back. And now um, there's some even some new plants in there that, that weren't different species that weren't there before. So, yeah, it's fantastic. So there are a variety of uh, native species thriving. Yes, yes, yes. No, they're, they're, they're seeds that were there and were, were dormant. And then with the, the fire coming through, they've managed to germinate and, and reproduce. So have you noticed any changes in the um, other types of wildlife other than plants at all? We don't really have many animals in there because it's quite a small reserve. We only have some... Uh, blue-tongued lizards, and, and there would be little, you know, insects and that, but I haven't really noticed any other any other difference in that regard. Okay, cool. So what's a bat box, and how many do you guys have at Red Seal? Okay, so bat boxes are hung in trees, and the hope is that micro-bats will use them as homes. And we have three boxes in the reserves, and they were made by the, the Bicton Men's Shed. And how do they benefit the ecology of the overall area? Well, I think they're they're great pollinators. That's one thing they are. And the other thing is that they eat a lot of mosquitoes. So down the hill from our reserve is is some wetlands. And and so there's mosquitoes as a result of that. So certainly the bats would hopefully are keeping the uh, mosquitoes in check in the area. Well, the residents are going to have to be happy about that, aren't they? Well, in fact, that's why it was the Rotary Club that came up with this idea. And they've made a, and through this mention, they've made a lot of bat boxes and put them through these local areas with the idea that they would help to control mosquitoes. So they made hundreds of bat, bat boxes, and we have three of them. And how do you know for certain that you got micro bats? Well, we don't. I mean, I check them from time to time, but I guess unless you had a fixed camera on them, you, you just wouldn't know. Um, but apparently, it takes up to five years for the bats to colonise these little boxes. So, yeah, we're just, just not sure at the moment. We'll just have to see in the future. There is um, a, another land care group that I'm working with, and in the next month they're going to set up uh, some bat acoustics, believe it or not, and set that in the park, and we'll be able to, apparently they'll be able to tell if there's if bats in the area. So that will be really interesting. Yeah, that'd be cool. Do you have any interesting and rare plants in the reserve that do better there than in other environments? Maybe some that are a little bit more difficult to grow. Uh, we have a couple of species of, of what I would call rarer plants. We have the 
cowslip orchards, uh, orchids and some Persunia saccata, which also has uh, is known as snotty gobble. Many of the plants are, are difficult to grow anyway. However, we're now getting plants from a range of suppliers, which is helping with the diversity. And I'd also like to um, explore, as I said before, explore that um, smoke water treatment as a means of germinating some of the, the seeds which are already in the ground. How would a new flora survey benefit the group's knowledge? As I mentioned before, um, a flora survey was undertaken by the City of Melville in 2017, and the Landcare Group is undertaking its own one later this month. Ben reckons he can ID most things, but there are a few things he would like help with. And I suppose any survey enhances our knowledge. Following the last survey, the City of Melville, for example, asked us to plant Banksia grandis, which are quite rare in the local area. So, you know, there's just an example that because the survey was done, um, and this is a, a tree that they think, you know, is becoming rarer. And then they supplied some of those to us just to, you know, just to, 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 to get more of them around the area. What are some of the main problems you guys are working with in terms of uh, dangers to the ecology? I so it's a, ours is a small reserve. It's got a, a fence around it. Dogs, I, certainly from my experience, um, I've seen some of these little blue-tongue lizards, um, blue-tongue goannas, skinks as they call them. Um, dogs have attacked them, dogs off leads. Um, so that that's a, a big issue. Even though people are supposed to have dogs on leads, it doesn't happen. And I'm sure that even little dogs, when they see one of these goannas, they're just naturally uh, attracted and they go over them. So, you know, yeah, dogs and cat, cats certainly are issues, yeah. Yeah, that's a real shame. How did you pick up so much knowledge about this subject? Did you uh, have any formal training or read a lot of books? Or tell me a little bit about that. As I say, when I was a kid growing up in the bush, I I developed that sort of, I've always had a, a passion for, for nature and plant and wildlife. And I've always been concerned about conservation as well. Um, so that's where it started from. The knowledge I've developed has come through asking lots of questions of Ben, going to courses arranged by the City of Melbourne, and really just heaps of Googling. And, and trial and error is also an important learning tool. Cool. So is there anything that you'd really like to tell the listeners about just before we wrap this episode up? Maybe something that you're quite passionate about and that you feel the listeners really should know? Uh, I just think anything that people can do to try and provide a home for local wildlife by planting plants and trees that attract wildlife is is certainly something that people can do even if they don't plant them preservation of old trees as well because they provide you know existing trees provides habitat i had an unfortunate situation next to me uh, you know, in the last year, a new house was built and there was a 60-year-old beautiful red flowering gum that used to provide habitat for carnivores, cockatoos and all sorts of things that come through. And um, despite me trying to, well, I, I did ask the, the, the new owners to preserve the tree. Unfortunately, it, it, you know, it was still knocked over and it was... Uh, I found that incredibly sad. Uh, so, you know, look, I've planted a couple of, uh, of of new trees out the front, but the trouble is they, they take a long time to grow. So I just think that's the main thing. Just just do what you can to provide habitat and, um, you know, just try and make, make that bit of difference and support any groups that are, are doing this kind of work. And also some of those old trees that people are tempted to cut down, maybe they have a uh, big hollow in it, maybe they have some broken branches. 
some of those can actually end up being even more beneficial than the uh, healthy looking ones. That's right, because those hollows, um, et cetera, develop over, you know, quite often take 100 years. And it's certainly the case with the Carnaby's cockatoos that they need those hollows to, you know, uh, to breed in. And um, it just takes a long time for it to happen. So it's not just the tree that people are knocking over. All that breeding space and everything is taken out when those trees go over. I follow an organisation from the UK on social media called Back From The Brink. And they're doing some really interesting work using, you know, qualified arborists to come through and mutilate some of the younger trees so that they are a little bit more like those um, older ancient trees, which are really disappearing and are in really short supply. What do you think about that sort of idea of mutilating the younger trees to provide habitat? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I've seen over in Tasmania, it's, um, I think it's the red-bellied parrot, I might be wrong, but they only breed on certain islands off Tasmania. And because there's been habitat loss, etc., that's exactly what they do. They've taken professional chainsaw uh, people over there, and they've they've cut out all these all these nesting holes. And um, I've seen those documentaries where uh, those birds um, habitat how habitat those those trees almost immediately. So, um, yeah. I'd, I think it's a fantastic thing and, um, of course, you'd have to get all the right approvals, etc. but um, maybe it's something that we look at here in the future as well. Yeah, it could be. That's um, really interesting to hear about the Tassie guys are doing it. I'm glad to know some of us Aussies are having a go at it. Oh, yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a young guy. He's a scientist and uh, he's taken it on himself and uh, he, uh, he engages these people and they go down there and they do it. Good on him. Look, David, thanks for coming on the show, mate. This was an awesome episode. And I think you're right. It is really important that we protect those natural habitats. And that's especially true of the wildlife corridors. I mean, they're really a bit of a last resort because if we lose those, the impacts are just going to be massive. Totally agree. Thanks, Dan. Did you guys find that as inspiring as I did? It's really true that we can make a difference. Even something so small as planting some native plants in your garden can help build some of those corridors and keep our native birds and insects and even other plants thriving in the environment so that they don't go extinct. Maybe don't try to wound the trees in your yard just so that you can provide some habitat. Instead you can build some bird boxes or possum boxes. Get in a trained arborist if you really want to create some hollows within the tree.